Today we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 978 in these Bibles in the pews, if you'd like to turn there, which I hope you will. As I mentioned earlier, this is our Commitment Sunday, so I want to bring a message on the, the subject of giving. Probably if there's, if there's any particular area where the Christian ethic in the area of generosity is at odds with our culture, it's, it's in this area. I'll read the passage and then I'll explain the, uh, the background and the context, which is, is really interesting about this, which is one of the premier passages in the entire Bible on the subject of generosity and giving. I'll begin reading in verse uh, 6. Hear God's word. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it also is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. (coughs) Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that that you would give us wisdom from your word now as as we seek to grow in the area of generosity individually and also as a church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Years ago, I read the book Schindler's List. Perhaps you saw the movie. Uh, At the end of the book, there is a, uh, a very emotional scene where Oscar Schindler, the man in Poland, during World War II, who had paid out a personal fortune to spare the lives of many Jews from the Nazis. In this scene, he looks at his car, he looks at his gold fountain pen, and he regrets that he had not given more of his money, more of his possessions to save more lives. Now, by all accounts, Oscar Schindler had used his opportunity far better than most But in the end, he longed for an opportunity to go back and make better choices. John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Someone has said that five minutes after you die, you will know how you should have lived. The good news is we don't have to wait until then. That God has given us his word to direct us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to empower us to live that way now. Jesus said not to store up treasure on earth, but to store up treasure in heaven. Do you you dread the thought of leaving this world? There's not a person who doesn't 
dread the thought of the dying process, but we also don't desire to be uh, disconnected from the close relationships that we have here. But if we dread death because we will be leaving our treasure behind, perhaps we love this treasure too much rather than going somewhere where we cannot lose that treasure. I read the account of John Wesley touring a plantation here in Georgia. He was with the plantation owner. It was massive. It was huge. They were on horses, and they apparently rode what seemed to be ours and only saw a fraction of the man's property. At the end of the day, they sat down to a very nice dinner, and the plantation owner eagerly asked, Well, Mr. Wesley, what do you think? In other words, weren't you impressed by all that I have? And Wesley replied, I think you're going to have a very hard time leaving all of this. When you leave this world, will you be known as someone who accumulated treasures that you could not keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you could not lose? Let's look at this passage together. As I mentioned, it's one of the premier passages really in the Bible, but especially in the New Testament on the subjects of giving and generosity. Now, the background I told you about, in case you don't know. The Apostle Paul became a believer as an adult, and he then became God's missionary to the non-Jewish world. In that missionary service, he traveled around the Mediterranean, the northern part especially, three times, evangelizing, defending the Christian faith, preaching the gospel, and planting churches. Now, sometimes he would go on these journeys and go back and report to the churches he had planted before. He would report what God was doing in other places. Now, on his third journey, he is collecting an offering, a special relief offering. We have relief offerings here, right, after hurricanes or recent hurricane. Uh, and other disasters that happen. Typically, the deacons here will lead us to give an offering that's going to be used strictly for relief. Well, he was taking up a, a relief offering. He was taking it up for the believers back in the city of Jerusalem, primarily Jewish believers, who because of being Christ followers now, had lost their jobs, some had been cut off from their families, some had been cast out of the temple, all their relationships. So they were in dire straits. And as Paul went on the, the journey, he told the churches, made up primarily of Gentiles, non-Jews, uh, that the need was there. Would they give an offering to take back? He thought it also primarily, he thought it also would not only alleviate their suffering, but it would express unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. The church in Corinth had promised to give an amount to that offering, but as of yet, when Paul wrote this, they'd not given in other words, they'd met, made a pledge, but they hadn't kept it. So he's writing to them to remind them, to instruct them, to urge them to fulfill the pledge they'd made, to fulfill the promise of giving that offering so that he could take it back or see that it's sent back to the church in Jerusalem. Now notice as we go through some of these verses, his tone. It's not caustic. It's not condemning. It's not manipulative. Uh, it's, it's very gentle. It's very persuasive. Uh, he is, he is a, a pastor to these people as well as having been an evangelist. He basically is saying the cause 
the cause of why you've not fulfilled your promise uh, of this offering is that there's a low spirituality in the church. It's rare to be around a church that is not very spiritually minded, not real godly, not where Christ is not the priority, and that go hand in hand with generosity. Typically, it doesn't happen. He knew that giving was the working of the grace of God in human hearts. And so he's assuring us here. The Lord is using these words to assure us that, that God will care for the generous person. Proverbs says in chapter 11 of Proverbs, A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I like the translation in the ESV that says, The one who waters will himself be watered. By whom? By God. By the Lord himself. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Give and it will be given to you. And notice how it's described. Picture this, this bucket of sorts, this container. He says, give, it will be given to you. Good measure, in other words, it's filled up, then it's pressed down, then it's shaken together, and then it's running over. will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We stand again by our giving. Now, as I go forward with some observations from this passage, in no way is this the prosperity gospel. Today, we are overrun in the U.S., the largest church in the United States, very much preaches the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be wealthy and healthy, not wise, but wealthy and healthy, and if you give the way, if, if you give, God will give back to you. If you give five dollars, you give in faith, and he may give you ten dollars. Uh, and so it, it's almost like bribes with God. If you hear that today, that it, I'm not making it clear, but that is not what I'm trying to communicate. I think grace giving says, I want to give back to God and his work, trusting that as I do, he will meet my needs. So the premise, Paul says in verse 6, he basically says, the point is this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All of life is a testimony to this principle. The farmer looks out and he sees the empty fields. And he doesn't, if he's a good farmer, he doesn't sit in the house saying, Oh me, oh my, there's no crops. There's no harvest. What will I do? No. He goes out and he works the ground. He tills the land. He plants the seed. And then there comes a harvest. Assuming all goes well, he will reap in proportion to what he sowed. Meaning, if you sow five acres, are you going to reap ten acres? No. If you sow five acres and all goes well, you will reap five acres. If you sow ten acres, you do not expect to, sow, to reap twenty acres. So what you sow, you will reap. The point Paul is making is the amount of the sowing determines the amount of the harvest. The farmer looks at sowing as an opportunity. He says, oh, I own 50 acres, and 25 acres just became available to buy in adjacent land. I'll purchase that, not so that I will own more land, but I'll have more opportunity to sow, and therefore a larger harvest. We should give... Viewing it as an opportunity. 
Now Paul describes how we can do that. Beginning in verse 7, we're to give with a proper attitude. Our motives in giving are important. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now think about this. If you're working for, I'm going to, John didn't know this, but I'll use Young Life. Let's say you're the, per, the treasurer for Young Life. <clears throat> and a gift for $100 comes to support that ministry. And you're the bookkeeper or you're the treasurer, so you, you enter that into the, uh, the program there and, and show that. Does the motive of the person who gave that make any difference when that money arrives? No not as far as the, per, the, the recipient. But in the life of the giver, it, it has everything to do with it, of their relationship with God, of the effect of the giving on that person. So he says we have to give with the proper attitude. And that includes not being reluctant. Don't give reluctantly, meaning that, well, I, I just have to do this. Uh, I, God will get me if I don't. So out of my guilt, I will... I will give, or under compulsion, meaning what others will think about me if I don't do this. I feel compelled to do it because of external pressure. Both of these attitudes, giving reluctantly, giving under compulsion, they rob giving of its joy. So what is your motive in giving? When you gave today, if you did, in the offering or or other means. What's your attitude in giving? Is, an oppor- is it an opportunity to sow seed, in a sense, to see a harvest? Do you enjoy giving? Or, or would you say, you know, when it boils down to it, I'm kind of resentful. I do it, but I only feel I have to do it. I'm afraid of what would happen if I didn't do it. He says here we should give as he has decided in his heart. It's an act of faith. And we want to be mature in our giving, just as we grow in areas like prayer, and studying God's word and our obedience, we have to mature in the area of giving. It will be wiser and more discerning and that generosity, in a sense, will come easier for us as we grow in our faith. So what are some, what can I offer you from this passage to help you in being a cheerful giver? Well, I think verse 7, and these are just some broad observations. I think you can grow as a cheerful giver by realizing generous giving helps us experience God's love. I say that from verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Why is that? It almost sounds conditional. No, it's it's that we imitate God in in being a giver. God is a giving God. Uh, God gave the creation. God gave life. God gave life to Adam, and then he brought Eve to him to be a helper to him. He gave the covenant relationship of marriage. He gave them food and clothes and children. And we reflect his character when we give. Giving is a godly thing. Generosity is a godly attribute. I've mentioned to you before, and so if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard everything that's happened in my life. I mean, you could... um, But one thing I've mentioned before is one of my memories, one of my only memories about being taken to church as a little child, like pre-kindergarten or kindergarten age, was... One, back then, everybody wore suits, and as a child, I had to put on a suit, even a little kid, and I remember how uncomfortable that was. And so I remember having to wear these clothes that were different from the other days of the week. I remember sitting next to my father, who went to church at that, when I was that little, and then didn't for decades. 
but we would sit in church and they would pass an offering plate like ours, these shiny metal ones. And my dad would hand me a coin to put in the offering plate, typically uh, a dime, sometimes a quarter. And so the offering plate would come by and I'd drop it in. That is my recollection of church. That, that's about it as a little, a little child. And when I started walking with Christ in high school and very interested in this area of generosity, I look back on that with some degree of, well, that really, he really wasn't teaching me to be a giver. My father wasn't teaching me to be a giver. I mean, after all, I didn't work for that money. It wasn't a portion of my income. My father handed it to me, then I gave it away. But in retrospect, it was a wonderful lesson in giving. My father handed it to me, and then I gave it away. Our Heavenly Father hands it to us, and then we give it away. God provides it. He provides seed for the sower. So it was a way to learn. We, it helps us experience God's love. Secondly, you will be a more generous giver by realizing generous giving opens the windows of God's blessing. In verse 8, when he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He doesn't say, God is able to make some grace abound to you so that having some sufficiency in some things... No, he says all. He's reassuring these skeptical Corinthians that God will bless them with more than they give out. It's not necessarily financial blessing. And this, I think, is a key issue for many of us. I think if we could transport ourselves back to transport... That's 70 ish isn't it? I don't know what it would be now, but if we go back and be with those Corinthians, the issue was not the need, right, in Jerusalem. That was clear. There's no indication they did not think that was a good thing to give to. The issue was not that they didn't have the capacity to give. They had already made a promise they would do so. The issue was not, well, I question whether it will get to them or not. Is Paul going to skim some off the top? There was, there was the only, the issue was, was them and I think it was probably, can God meet my need? I mean, how can I give this away when the needs in my own life are so great? Isn't that what most of us wrestle with in the area of giving? It's not intellectual. It's typically definitely not theological or philosophical. It's, I'm not in a position right now. I've got so many financial constraints on me or obligations. So in dealing with that, he raises the question, can you trust God? And he's saying, God is trustworthy. You know the story of the widow who gave the two coins. In Mark chapter 12, we have this account where Jesus and his disciples go up to the temple in Jerusalem. And in the outer court of the temple, there were these metal trumpets like funnels and you could give with particular designations. You could give money for sacrifices. You could give money to help the poor. You could give money to sustain the work of the temple. And obviously, since the money was coins and the receptacles were metal, it was obvious to determine by hearing, was that a large gift or a small gift? And so some wealthy people came up, put in lots of money and the offering and where everyone would know and then this widow comes up I'll read it to you 
in verse, uh, chapter 12 of Mark. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now we read that, or we hear that, and say, boy, that's, that's great. That was really a special person. Now, even though we're not told her name, Jesus, I mean, she's in the Bible. This was very impressive, and we kind of applaud that. Now, there are several widows in our church and widowers. If a widow after this service came up to you and said, hey, I want you to know something. During this sermon or during a recent sermon, I decided I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to clear out my banking account, my savings account. I'm going to sell my house, get the equity out of the house. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give it away. Is there a person among us that would compliment her? We would say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait. You've got to think about this, 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 and this. You've got to take care of yourself. God has provided this. You're... Dare I say there's not a single person here who would not think that giving everything she had away was bordered on insanity? We certainly would not compliment her. So what was it about this woman that Jesus complimented? What appears to be a completely irresponsible situation for a widow crying out loud when they had no security in, those, in that culture at that time. Here's what I think it was. Her giving was an act of faith. I think she knew the Old Testament promises where God had promised to be a husband to the widow, that he cared for widows, that he gave these laws for the nation of Israel that they were to do and how they harvested and so forth to care for widows. I think... I personally think, it's my opinion, when she gave those two coins, that was an act of faith, knowing that, God, you're going to take care of me. I know you are. It wasn't irresponsible, like I'm just going to give it away and I don't have to fool with it anymore. She trusted God to provide for her. Here's what Paul's saying to our Corinthian brothers and sisters and to us right now. In your giving, there's an element of fear. How will I make it? What if this happens? What if that happens? And he says, look, all of our resources ultimately come from God. And he's able to increase those resources so that we may, back to the text, abound in every good work. Not every possible good work, but the good works to which God calls us. Let me move toward the last point. You'll be a cheerful giver by realizing generous giving brings about spiritual blessings to the giver. In verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will multiply what we do. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his uh, pastor student in Ephesus, he said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And then he says at the end, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So, in God's economy, the more we have, the more generous we should be. We should be rich in good works. When you get an extra $10 or $100 or $1,000 or whatever it may be, maybe unexpected, is your bent to immediately 
prayerfully consider, Lord, what would you have me do with this? Or is it, well, hey, I've got an extra amount of money. I can spend it on myself or spend it on my family. He blesses us so that we can bless others. So I think as believers, we need to develop, we need to mature in the area of having a predisposition to give, a predisposition toward generosity. Again, I told you before, but a number of years ago, we we were developing a relationship with churches in Cuba. And uh, some of us here went down to Cuba, and one of the ministries that caught my attention was a, it was an evangelistic outreach through baseball. And these teams would play baseball, and they would do testimonies, kind of like the Ministry of Athletes in Action here in the United States. And they would put these teams together and travel all around, and baseball being the national sport in Cuba. And it cost $1,000 for a season to sponsor these that paid for the, the umpires, paid for the travel, it paid for the equipment, and uh, basically a thousand U.S. dollars would sponsor one of those teams for a year. And the statistics were staggering as to how many people they, that would hear the gospel through these teams. My son-in-law had an old car. It was, it was really a piece of junk. And, and he and our daughter Julie were moving uh, to Colorado and uh, so he didn't have time to sell the car. I said, look, I'll give you the money for the car. I'll, I'll buy the car, and then I'll sell it. So, you can, and so they moved on. I had this car in our driveway. So I put, put an ad in Craigslist, $600. I didn't hear anything for a few days, and it's sitting out there. And so it was on a Saturday morning, I was sitting at my desk, and I, I said, Lord, if somebody will buy that car, I'd like to take that $600 and give it toward one of those baseball teams. One hour later, seriously, one hour later, I had the money. A man came over, he and his wife, they were buying this for their son. He was all excited about it. Thankfully, it ran long enough to get out of the driveway and around the corner. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with $600 in cash. And boy, I started thinking of everything else I could do with that money. Everything but supporting a baseball team in Cuba. Now, I hadn't heard a voice from God. Uh, that, are we talking something sinful? No, I just thought that was... So I gave the money toward, toward that. I, I think, let me speak to the young people. You may not believe it now, but there may come a day that God gives you large sums of money. And the time to decide what to do with it is now. You need to make the decisions in advance before you have it. Because all of us have an innate talent to live up to and beyond our income. <laughs> way beyond. So if you decide in advance that, okay, my standard of living, by God's grace, I want to keep right here. And if he blesses me way out here, I don't want to adjust my standard of living all the way out to where God blesses. But I want to see that, that there's a predisposition that, that I'll, I'm going to live within these bounds and, and then I want to give. I want to be generous uh, to the extent that I can. Your giving also multiplies worshipers. This is the last point, I promise. Your giving multiplies praises and thanks to God. Verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We are multiplying worshipers. Whether it's locally, to student ministry, campus clubs, or whatever else, 
we multiply worshipers. I'm a provisional elder at Strong Tower Fellowship. We meet this Tuesday to receive another new member into the church. These testimonies of people in Pleasant Hill that will say, I came to faith in Christ, or God has done this in my life. Why is that? Because this church and individuals in this church has given money, and it results in multiply worshipers to God. Let me give you a, a, a real clear example. Uh, a number of, of years ago, we, as we do every year, we had a missions conference. We had a missionary here that year with Wycliffe Bible translators. And they had worked, her team in North Africa, in the Sudan, had worked for years to translate a particular language so that a Bible could be printed. It's called a Shillic language. And in her report to the congregation, she made a passing comment that we finished the translation work and all we need now is some money to print the Bibles. And we had a question and answer time and I said, wait, did I hear you right? You finished the translation work? That's the heavy lifting. That's the hard part. She said, yeah, we just now, I said, so you're just waiting on the money before you can print it? She said, yes, we're waiting. I said, how much is it? $80,000. Well, we kind of looked around the room and said, our church can handle that. Well, she was stunned, and the money was there two days later. It, it was in hand. And it was sent, and then about a year and a half later, once they were all printed, they had a ceremony over in the Sudan. They asked if we wanted to come. We didn't send any representatives, but you can see it to this day on YouTube. And it's that Bible being presented to those people. Here it is. Here's one of the Bibles. So I went online not too long ago, and I wanted to see how many people speak Shillok. And it's a, it's a small number related to world languages like English and Mandarin and so forth. It's 175,000 people. Here's what I think Paul's saying. Through our giving with the Bible, it multiplies as people come to faith in Christ, as they're exposed to the Word of God there, as they read this, I think... We will gather in heaven and there will be people there who came to Christ through this and it goes back to not only the years of labor by Wycliffe Bible translators, but the $80,000 given to have this thing finally printed. That's what I think Paul's talking about. We, the goal is not just to give. The goal is not just to uh, finish a task. It's the end goal that there be worshipers to God himself as our giving is translated into those things and those people. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing the church's one foundation. If you're a member here and you're prepared to turn in your card, there, there are boxes up here in the front of each aisle if you come forward during those singing as we sing and present those. Let me close our time with prayer. Father, you have entrusted much to us, yet we live with financial anxiety. We're pulled from a variety of directions. So we ask for your Spirit's help. Uh, Help us to be wise in giving. Help us to be generous in giving. Uh, and may it be used strategically to, to multiply worshipers, as, as the Apostle Paul uh, reminded them and us. In Jesus' name, amen.